Welcome to the Dev Ready Podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Today we're joined by Paul Anost. Paul is the founder of Final Call, a real estate technology company that's looking to change the way we buy and sell real estate. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. No, I really appreciate you coming on board and um, sharing your journey through Final Call that started what back in 2015 from what I recall. Yeah, 2015 was the uh, conception of both the idea and the business, although uh-huh. as we all know, you can have the idea of the uh, well before the business gets established. Yes, very true. <laughs> Sometimes it's a big lead, a lot of lead time on that. Yeah, yeah. it can be, yes. So let's dive a little bit back in the history of Paul. So where did you start out and how did you start your journey, especially career-wise? Yes, so um, I went to Melbourne High School, uh-huh. um, you know, obviously uh, academic-based um, school, and I had no real interest in university back then. Um, uh-huh. I was more interested in pursuing a career of professional musician, which, uh, mm-hmm. you know, was cool. was okay at the time, but didn't did you quite sing pan or out. Play instrument? What did you do? I, I was a vocalist okay, uh, nice. in a in a heavy metal band. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, so so all this all this does is prove that you can have many many careers over the space of uh, you know, yes. years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from uh, heavy metal vocalist through to startup founder, uh, very uh, different. That that yeah. is definitely uh, something I'd say. Um, so then, yeah, went straight out of high school, started mm-hmm. working for uh, the banks. So yep. I was working at ANZ Bank and uh-huh. just worked my way through there in various operational and project roles uh, mm-hmm. into business analysis and project management. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, these are skills that I highly recommend everyone should pick up if they're ever looking to uh, start a tech-based business in some yep. way, shape or form because you know, just just having a bit of knowledge on how to understand and design processes alone will save you an inordinate amount of time. Dig into that a bit, designing processes. What does that mean? So one of the fundamental mm-hmm. things that you need to think about whenever you're designing a new platform, system, function is you need to understand you know, the interactions that the various participants will have along the way, where are their decision points, what could those decision points branch into, uh, and then what are the impacts along the way. So you need to be thinking about um, the inputs, the outputs in terms of not necessarily a data structure or anything uh-huh. as complicated as that, but you know if you do this in a process you would anticipate that it has one of these two three four outcomes mm-hmm. um, and by being able to structure that in an appropriate way you'll actually be able to then uh, watch it flow you'll be able to understand pain points you'll be able to understand uh, you know points that uh, will potentially be bottlenecks um, and ultimately you know that process background helped me do what I did with Final mm-hmm. Call um, yep. because and it was I, all about process. And I think um, that's one thing that, um, that really non-techs don't get a grip on. Um, building tech is all process driven. So we are digging into process, understanding it. And there's, like you said, there's one, two, three, four, five things that happen for one action. So it's something we haven't discussed much on the Dev Ready um, podcast, but yeah, process is pivotal if you can design some product. Yeah, all software is yes. process. Something happens, triggers something and moves on to the next. Mm-hmm. And that's what we just try and generally 
investigate that as deep as we can when we're yeah. consulting with someone. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, obviously, that was, that's one thing with my uh, background allows me to look at mm-hmm. those items and actually get a deep understanding ahead of time. So rather than necessarily you know, having to uh, leave that to you know, parties such as yourselves, yes. um, I can actually go and do that work, uh, which you know is is quite helpful in terms of both the design and the development delivery processes because the reality is if you are um, going to engage uh, with a company the more information you can come prepared with the better and uh, I think that's what a few people may get lost in especially people who have never delivered uh, projects before and I mean you know it doesn't have to be a technical project it's just if you have never worked in project management or the like um, you may not understand that if you are lacking bits of information, it's going to need to be teased out at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can have far-reaching consequences. So the more prepared you are, the more diligence you do, uh, and the more design that you do up front, or at least identify, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, I think that's uh, music to my ears. <laughs> Pardon the pun. But yeah, in terms of early stage, we that's something that we talk about like the earlier you dig in, in terms of process. You, you don't want to be building any code or design, building a product until you really flesh out a significant amount of that process up front, just so you're clear. Um, even from a your, even from a non-tech perspective, if you're clear on what the product looks like before it's built, that's a great place to be. Even if it might change 10, 20, 30% down the line, that's okay, but at least you've got a path that you're walking down. If you go in so blind, it becomes difficult to manage. Yeah, and that's yeah. a really fair point. Um, I mean, I can definitely say with Final Call, there were positions that we started with mm-hmm. uh, that fundamentally changed later yes. on once we decided to make some, you know, forays into other product offerings, and mm-hmm. you know that then required rework on yes. on decisions and what have you that we had done before. But mm-hmm. that is the nature of product development. That is the nature of system development. You need to be flexible and not necessarily pigeonhole yourself too early on mm-hmm. um, obviously you talk about concepts of MVP and uh, you know, MMP so if people don't know the difference MVP is a minimum viable product which is technically meant to be proving a hypothesis or disproving a hypothesis whereas an MMP being a minimum marketable product is out there to something that you would actually put in front of your customers that mm-hmm. you would hope someone would pay you for <laughs> very nice so what we find through that process discovery um, phase is if things are left out and we say we have to be flexible it becomes a fine line in being flexible and then being let allowing like the development or consultants to make assumptions on those if they're not fleshed out enough and I mean it's interesting because now you're almost talking methodology uh, that solves these issues so mm. um, you know back at through various IT delivery, there's uh-huh. been numerous ways to deliver on these projects. Um, in more recent times, it's been a waterfall approach, but then you've had Agile come back into the mix, and Agile as a delivery method is actually about saying, do your planning, do your design, do your delivery in smaller pieces but think about what your end goal is rather than painting yourself into a big corner up front. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that agile delivery space is, you know, where the more you've thought about things, the more 
uh, you know, you have a good understanding and a good idea. You don't necessarily have to have the end result. And sometimes, you know, you won't actually think about some of those bits and pieces until you're actually through several sprints worth of delivery. And then you'll go, oh, hang on a minute. I need to think about this, this, and this when we're dealing with this bit over here. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, it's been a fundamental shift within the IT delivery space, um, more so in the last sort of decade. Uh, now that it's come back into fashion, um, you obviously hear people talk about being agile and having business agility and whatever else. But the reality is, this is about just communicating better and delivering things in smaller amounts. I don't think most people know what the term agile means in relation to projects <laughs> and software. They just throw it out and it means they can respond to things on a whim, which is not the case, like you just mentioned. Like, oh, yeah, exactly. And in terms of agile, I think people use it as a solution to better project management where it's not it's generally still whoever's managing that project's going to um, need to know how to cater a software product and manage it through an agile process and what you said there is having an end goal in mind i think still stands true because you still need to know where you're going how do you know where you if you if you don't and i've heard of stories like this where you pick up a concept and you just go and build something week to week or fortnight to fortnight and you don't even know where you're going but if you're on a path and on a journey to somewhere um, it keeps you in line at least like i said painting yourself in a corner can be um, something you do in a waterfall model where you completely lock yourself into a delivery and it could be 12 24 months and that's little bit crazy and risky too so i think it's a fine balance between the two um where it gives you agile gives you more flexibility within the development whereas waterfall which is what we used to go use when we started paints you into that corner of oh now we've got to change something and then how do we go about doing that so yeah they're very it's very interesting conversation that one definitely yeah and i mean i'm not gonna not gonna bore you with my various theories on that having also done some Uh consulting in this space as well um but yeah i think uh you know some organizations believe agile is going to be the savior of all their problems and And that's uh, not true (laughs) at all Yeah. yeah, I mean, the, yeah. the biggest thing I see is, yeah. oh, it's going to do it faster and it's going to do it cheaper. And it's like, that's not true no, either. No. no. <laughs> it's who's managing that and who's making the calls is going to just, in any project, you can run a waterfall project quite successfully. Um, if you know what you're doing, you've done it before. As soon as you hit a roadblock, then you're in trouble. Um, but in the same in Agile, it's exactly the same thing. It's about who's involved in it, who's the team, who's the executing on it, and that's going to generally keep you in good stead if they're good people done it before. That's it. Uh, look, uh, the I think the crux of what I was getting at, and I know we've gone a long way around it, but at the same time, really worth people understanding that there are these different things out there. Yes. Um, you know, go and get yourself uh, educated in Agile. You don't have to get formal education. There's uh-huh. enough material online to... There's plenty there. You could spend you could spend days reading the free stuff out there, which would give you a good flavour for it. Mm-hmm. But ultimately... Um, it comes back to your level of preparation. So if you're starting a business, if you've got an idea, you need to flesh out that idea as best as you possibly can with as much detail as you possibly can. Also accepting the fact that you won't have all the answers and sometimes things need to be talked through. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. okay too, um, provided you actually explore and dig into this thing before you go and talk to people. I think that's some good advice because people can just off the back of a napkin and go and have a conversation with the development team and that's pretty scary too. Yeah, and 
I mean, having said that, I'd spoken with people I'd worked with, um, you know, at various points in time. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, I have worked with a number of uh, technology people. I've worked in technology and business delivery projects. So I've picked up bits and pieces where mm-hmm. I've needed to. Mm-hmm. But I remember having a discussion, you know, when Final Call was a concept before I'd actually started the ball rolling. And I was talking with one of the you know, project delivery managers in the IT section. I said, look, I've got this idea. What do you suggest? And he said, you're talking real-time communication. He said, Node.js is the, is the new one. That's the one that you should be going for. That's what Facebook uses. And I'm like, well, Facebook uses it. That's what we should be using. Well, you know, soon found out, uh, yeah, uh, ultimately it's exactly the path we should have gone down. Um, yes. We didn't go down that path initially mm-hmm. and we got burnt by it. So, yeah, okay. you know, this is all part of the journey. It is. That's it also is. something to be cautious of. I can probably date the day that, per, the year at least that, person said that to you just because you said no js and there was a big craze about that all at one point and technology goes in those crazes so it's just something to be aware of anyone out there if someone talks about a piece of tech it's because it's within a, it's a fad right it can be in a fad too sometimes oh yeah, completely it's the flavor of the month yeah yeah and um you know without without going into too much detail uh, this early on because you know we're trying to structure this discussion a little more um <laughs> the you know, we, we we encountered a number of technology issues uh-huh. along the way because mm. uh, either, you know, decisions were made with um, the best of knowledge at the time or uh, we were guided by someone else who said this is the way to go and ultimately those things backfired on us. So, um, you know, this is, this is where uh, as a non-tech person, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you need to make sure that you've got the right tech partners. You need to make sure that you've got the right input. And it's okay to have um, different people to talk to as well. If you know people in technology, pick their brain. They're not going to pinch your idea. Um, well, for the most part, I mean, you know, excluding someone like Zuckerberg. But <laughs> well, the likelihood of them pinching and executing is very little. None, exactly. <laughs> they haven't got the passion yes. and the drive for that yeah. idea. That and the amount of effort with. that you have to put into an idea in a business is phenomenal. I don't think people get it. Oh, it's, yeah. Look, I I will be the first to raise my hand to say I had no idea how much effort, how much time um, you know you'd have to put in to try and do things. And you know, starting a business, you have to understand that it is a big risk. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, everyone's seen the stats. You've got businesses that you get going and you think, yep, I've got I've got a great idea and then you try and get capital and you can eventually get capital if you know the right people or you're willing to tip in enough of your own money or whatever it might be. And then, uh, you know, it's, okay, we've got this far. So have we got a market fit for the product? Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Uh, timing is the big thing. So, you know, final call in terms of a platform, timing-wise, we didn't get right. But in terms of the product market fit, uh, under these circumstances right now with COVID, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it would have been, um, you know, a game changer. So I suppose we should probably actually define what final call as a platform was. Yeah, so <laughs> that, that paints a good picture about your background and, history pool and how you got to final call so now this idea where did it come from 
So back in 2015 or pre-2015, yeah. I imagine maybe, you had this idea. Maybe uh, start before that. What is the idea? <laughs> what is Final Call? Yes. Well, yeah. Well, that's that's probably the crux of it. Um, Final Call is a platform to enable digital negotiation and transaction of real estate assets and mm-hmm. other high-value assets. Uh, obviously, the idea came when I looked at people going through the whole house hunting and uh, attempts to purchase, you know, being, uh-huh. uh, you know, friends in their 30s. Everyone knows how painful it is to deal with uh, real estate, whether it be rentals, whether it be purchases or selling. It's a very manual, uh, very laborious process. There is not a lot of clear information. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you feel like you're getting screwed potentially at every turn as a buyer. <laughs> yep. um, and so, yeah, I, I witnessed a number of friends going through this whole house purchasing process and spending every weekend for six plus months going to multiple open for inspections, going to multiple auctions. Yeah, and we're talking of first home buyers here. Mm-hmm. And these aren't poor people, but they're by no means ridiculously wealthy people. So they're sitting there going to an auction, being told by the agent, yep, this is the price range. So you go in there with an expectation. They've spent all this time getting pre-approval from the uh, banks and what have you. And they think, okay, this is the one. This is the one that we really think is going to be our future house and then generally the first bid that was placed would knock them out completely yeah and that's devastating if you're in that situation i think um, a few probably listening have been there so yeah not fun yeah it's a, it's a challenging spot to be in when you're trying to buy a property or even even sell a property i think is interesting so picking your agent and going through that process so both sides of it can be quite interesting yeah exactly yeah and that's something i experienced last year buying and selling within I don't know, three or four months of each other, I think it was, March to June. Yeah, it's it's one of those processes that you do not realise how time-consuming uh, and painful it can be until you actually start going through it. I mean, even as a tenant, you'll go through a fair bit of pain, and I, I remember doing that, applying for a few different rentals. It's you know, been difficult, and subsequently I still rent so you know i'm not an owner i haven't successfully navigated that uh that segment of the journey as yet mm-hmm. but um you know a startup will uh probably take precedence over buying a house <laughs> financially <laughs> that's, that's financially <laughs> true, a bit of cash. <laughs> part of the same pain of trying to figure out what opens you're going to i had a system my wife couldn't believe what i used to do to try and figure out where we're going to go what was the best route between the two make sure we get there on time you just organized yeah. mate <laughs> And that's it. I mean, obviously the whole COVID-19 situation has uh, Mm. gone and fundamentally changed the landscape. I think we'll see a reversion back to um, old practices and ways for the bulk of the industry because most of them uh, didn't adopt too much of a uh, technology-driven stance when they were forced to in the previous few weeks. But Mm -hmm. having said that, you know, I think this is the commencement of the shift here in Australia and New Zealand. Um, But I think there's going to be more of a catalyst, a more disruptive event uh, or player that will enter the market that will actually end up uh, driving the bulk of the change. As as we see in most industries, it's um, you can 
lead a horse to water but you can't make them drink and in the same mm-hmm. way you can put the best technology solutions in front of the incumbents in the industry and uh, the reality is unless they feel threatened or can understand the immensity of the opportunity before them they will not do anything different and the real estate industry in australia um, and I'd say globally is indicative of that to the nth degree. Yeah. Well, looking at that industry specifically, say realestate.com.au is only like one level away from becoming the agent, the virtual display home and doing the whole process. Yeah, which is actually really interesting because uh, it's not technically part of their public strategy, but at the same time, if the winds change significantly enough, um, that is a way that they can go. I. Mm-hmm. I would have said prior to this, they might have gone down the iBuyer route and they might still. Um, for context, the iBuyer route is uh, companies like Open Door and Zillow in the US where they actually purchase the price. Uh, sorry, they purchase the property uh, at a slightly lower price than market, but they do it within seven days in the US and uh, then they you know, do some little touch ups to it and then sell it themselves via their own platform. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know there's a number of people who are quite bullish on that model. I'd always said that that model was fraught with danger purely by the fact that, uh, you know, we hadn't experienced a recession in a while. Uh, property true. prices were yeah. extended beyond, uh, you know, most people's reach, especially here in Australia and New Zealand. Mm-hmm. But uh, in the US, you know, they were a little bit lower, even though they'd still seen, you know, 40% plus average growth since the GFC. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, look, I think at some point REA or Domain might potentially move into that space, but then they're effectively moving away from being a property portal and uh, they can potentially kiss goodbye all of that uh, marketing revenue income. That's a thing. It's killing that revenue stream for another. Normally what happens, yeah, yeah. if you can cannibalise your own product Mm -hmm. to make Mm -hmm. another product, Mm -hmm. the iPod to the iPhone to the iPod. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's an interesting conversation. I find it interesting that model... But yeah, like you said, if you hit a recession and you're holding 300 properties in your portfolio all of a sudden, and they take a 10 to 20% downturn in a quick short succession, you're in probably mm. a bit of trouble. So yeah, interesting model. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, it's, it's even more interesting in the fact that, you know, yeah. it, it, <laughs> Zillow, so the, yeah. the equivalent of REA uh, <laughs> in the US as a property portal, decided yeah. to start moving into it. And um you know, as the dominant player, obviously they're starting to potentially cannibalise some of their mm. some of their own uh, revenue. But would. what's been interesting is, as a publicly listed company, they've been booking the revenue um, oh. in total dollar values. So they're literally sitting there saying, "Look at our revenue. Look at how much higher it is." But the margin is something like point. Two of a percent. Of in course, terms the of revenue profit. is going to be higher because he's selling high ticket items all the time. Exactly. <laughs> so it's been really interesting from that yeah. perspective. So um, yeah. I know we've segued a little bit yeah. there, but uh, yeah. yeah, I think key point yeah. is to understand yeah. the wider industry and the trends yes. that are potentially following, and mm-hmm. and uh, you know where where the players are leading because you know, you you can have the best idea uh-huh. on the planet, but execution and timing. Um, uh, the two massive elements that you know you just need to try and find a way to fit as best possible to the circumstances. Um, so, going think... back to what we were sort of discussing, which was 
how I came up with this. Well, I mean, that was the crux of it. I just looked at the process going, everyone's spending so much time and yet where's the value? Like it's, it's literally dead time that you're spending and, you know, uh, the traditional, um, process also included getting um, a building inspection well you know potential purchases are now dropping anywhere between several hundred to over a thousand dollars for a building inspection and then turning up to an auction and getting outbid from the get-go I mean that's lost money so now you've had Mm -hmm. people purchasing properties without building inspections up front which means they're wearing the risk of any potential defects that have been underlying and obviously this is what happens in a hot market where everyone wants to do it and especially within australia property is an obsession so Mm. um so i mean obviously you can start sort of seeing why the idea came about because there was a lot of potential there was a lot of um manual process and this comes back to what i was saying earlier about processes Mm -hmm. you saw so much effort uh, being put in by so many different participants, but yet, what was the actual outcome? The outcome was a a non-productive asset. A house was transferred at the highest market value that could be achieved through a number of processes with uh, an agent, um, you know, doing a bit of marketing and doing some, you know, vendor and client management. Uh, and ultimately, the asset sold itself. So pretty much, yeah. So marketing would be questionable. They stick it on uh, realestate.com, and that's their marketing for some. Yeah, of those people agents. find it. Yeah. If it fits them, if it's in their area. Correct. Yeah. Yep. So, so yeah, that's that's sort of where where that rough mm-hmm. idea ended up, and then it was purely a matter mm-hmm. of why why is this not being done? And mm-hmm. if it's not going to be done by someone, then why not me? And that's yeah. really where it sort of where stemmed it started. From get it so what was your first step so you obviously did a bit of market research clearly looked into the industry a bit got an understanding you look overseas just to get some understanding of what was happening in u.s markets before you venture this or you start planning an idea first yeah i probably was a bit overzealous and got straight into the design and generally happens yeah generally happens back of the napkin and then finding a team yeah planning and designing first it, it was more it was more just picking upon my mm-hmm. my experience and my knowledge and, and those around me and just try to understand um, the processes as, as they encountered it. And so mm-hmm. I was approaching it not from an agent's perspective but from a consumer's perspective because uh, my theory was, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I, I, proved, I proved my theory incorrect <laughs> <laughs> through my MVP. I proved it incorrect. Uh-huh. But my That's theory... The Exactly. But my theory was that the agents would not care because they would potentially make more money out of this. So why not give them a tool that would enable them to maximize their potential earning capacity? Um, You know, you need to probably understand the psychology of the industry and the psychology of uh, who, who you're dealing with to really understand if you're going to crack an incumbent um, player-controlled environment or mm-hmm. be a disruptor. If you're the disruptor, you know, you just need to be consumer-faced and give them the best outcome possible whilst not necessarily um, completely screwing over your suppliers. But in uh, an industry such as real estate, uh, you know, where you have the incumbent players... Uh, that was that was a mistake I made. I made the mistake of not understanding the psychology 
uh, and the thought process behind how the agents operated and why they operated in certain ways that they did. Yeah, interesting point you're raising because you're playing two parts of the market. You need you need the agents as well, not just the consumers. So you got you got both sides there. So the agents are the ones that generally hold the property, unless you go straight to consumer and sell it yourself. They're the ones that are still holding the properties. And that's exactly yeah. it. I mean, the interesting thing was that I didn't yeah. I didn't realize a lot of these things until. Mm-hmm. You know, well, well after the platform was built and operating, okay. mm-hmm. and you know, this was a big learning curve and a big journey. Mm-hmm. That um, understanding all your players and understanding their motivators and drivers uh, yes. is one thing. Understanding why an idea could potentially fail uh-huh. uh, is another thing. So it's not. I thought I had the golden goose. I thought I had the best idea on the face of the planet and it just made perfect sense. Yes, it made perfect sense to me as a consumer that had not worked within the industry and did not understand their psychology. Mm. I think um, I get that moment every time I get an idea. Yeah, I know Anthony's one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. It's always the best idea. Yeah, and, and you know, as the disruptor, if you look at companies such as Uber, if you look at, Airbnb, if you look at all of these parties out there that have done ridiculously well, well obviously the current climate's hurt them, but of you know, prior to all of this, prior to all of this, they've done really well because they haven't been dependent on an incumbent. So yes. my first bit of advice, if you're ever going to come up with a big idea, make sure it's financially got a lot of legs to it if you're dealing with incumbents make sure you understand the industry and the incumbents and talk to them about the appetite because there's no point in going down the path of building something when you don't have a potential client base and i even did that with a handful of real estate agents i knew personally and the majority of them reacted positively to it Mm -hmm. unfortunately um, you know, as we all know, statistical relevance. Well, yes. you know, a handful of people does not equate to an industry. No, it doesn't. So, is that only relevant if the incumbents are your customers, not if it's a B two C? Yes, and yeah. hence the reason. If you're dealing with an incumbent, uh, you know, and, and and it's a marketplace type product, especially, mm-hmm. you have to convince them beyond. Uh, you know, what you would normally convince anyone that this is a superior way, this is going to make their life better tenfold, a hundredfold, and not endanger them. And that was one of the other things I learned was most of the resistance from the industry came from, one, they don't like technology. Mm-hmm. They sell real estate in the same way that they've always done historically. Two, they are scared that technology will do them out of a job. And that's a lot of industries uh, that are a little bit slow to react to technology. Did you go down the path of um, looking for one of these incumbents or a big real estate agent to be a partner in this product? Did you ever explore that? Well, not up front. Uh-huh. Um, you know, as as with many of these uh, ideas, it's <laughs> it's really hard to go to someone you have no existing professional or mm-hmm. um, personal relationship with yes. and propose a business idea, a proposition, mm-hmm. a JV of some variety mm-hmm. without 
an actual without some substance behind it, without yeah, a product to show. Yeah, you need something to show. Yeah, you can't. Not, yeah, like I said, an idea is not going to get you there. Um, yeah, but I feel like um, in a market like that, that could be an approach within the current play. If you found a big agent to work with, collaborate with, and deliver, that could be an option. But it, it, look, yeah. it could. Uh, but then, then you now deal with the issue of. Uh, who controls the industry? So, I mean, I, I really come back to research your industry mm. before even spending a dollar on, on, on uh, you know, going down the path of building a service or a platform or whatever it might be. You have to understand the industry. You have to understand how they operate. You know, I... I treated the real estate industry in the same way that I treat a lot of the other corporates. Mm-hmm. You know, all right, there's a head office. You know, if yeah. there's a head office, then there's a head decision maker, and they're the one. Once they make their decision, then it will cascade down, and it will be mm-hmm. um, used throughout their branches. Well, <laughs> what I found out was once again, uh-huh. uh, yes, there there is a head office, but yeah. the head office generally, um, you know, they're the franchisor. Mm-hmm. They will take, uh, you know cuts of revenue and fees and they'll provide various services and what have you and yes they can promote um, services to their network but at the end of the day every one of those offices was its own individual business with its own individual owners and it was mm-hmm. totally up to them as to whether they wanted to use something or not mm-hmm. that's yeah, important it's to know strip. that up front isn't it that's, so you invested into the products and I think that's some great advice here, clearly. Um, understand the industry you're walking into. Um, it is a little bit easier if you're a non-tech walking into an industry. You've got domain knowledge. It's an easy place to start. If uh, you had that real estate backing, you may have found those roadblocks a little bit earlier, which could have helped you along that journey. Um, yeah, so it's, your research is pivotal in any, any space you're going into. Yeah, I mean... As I said, I, I learned mm. learned a massive amount, yeah. um, which would put me in good stead for advising or uh-huh. you know running another startup or yep. whatever it might be, um, yeah, because it was a lot of the errors, and those errors cost me personally mm. financially, mm-hmm. um, which is another thing that you know you, you need to sort of weigh up is what can I afford? Um, you know, I've had this conversation with. Daniel Mumby on a handful of occasions and he says you don't put in more than you can afford to lose you know and that's the standard sort of investor <laughs> approach and I said yeah well that's great Daniel but when you're building a technology platform <laughs> slightly different yeah same <laughs> advice you get when someone tells you you go into the casino <laughs> yeah so you know it's do your research do as much as you can without committing and going down the path of building a platform because you know, everything will take you longer and, and it will be more expensive than what you will ever ant- anticipate because things are more complex, especially where you're building um, customized applications. Now, there's yeah. nothing to say that you can't leverage um, existing pieces of technology out there to help shortcut. Uh, you know, I, I was sort of delving earlier into some of the mistakes we made. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of those early mistakes was engaging. Uh, the wrong software development company. And that one mistake cascaded into numerous issues, which resulted in $190,000 down the drain, 10 months lost, and 
not a product that was working in any way, shape, or form. We had to yeah. rebuild it after that point. Now, you know, thankfully, the government had the R&D grant out there, and I spent a lot of time you know, pulling all that together, and we were doing something that was innovative uh, in terms of a technology piece and process. So we were, um, you know, we did meet their criteria, but at the same time, you know, that was only 43.5% or 45%, I think it was, for that financial year um, of that expenditure that I was able to get back. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a lot of money that's to a lose. Hell of a lot of money, yes. And a lot of time. Yes. And a lot that, of time, mm-hmm. a lot that, of time. So yeah. we had to actually end up trying to build, uh, trying to get that platform working mm-hmm. in the space of two nights. I had my team take the piece of crap that we were given by the software development company. Uh, and that software development company has since collapsed. And this is a common story by that software development company. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's a common story across a lot of startups. It's yeah, not, not the only one. But a yeah. specific one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a very common story. It's a lot of money and a lot of time that gets burned and wasted. Yeah. And, and a lot of it ends up being, it's you're, you're not technical, so you don't understand whether or not they're a good team, mm-hmm. whether they can deliver good software. And in other cases, it's, cheapest dollar drives the selection well yes and, and the interesting thing was i didn't actually go for the cheapest dollar in this instance yeah, so that's, um yeah um, that's an outlier i would say yeah and then um, the other one other thing just on top of that mm. is if anyone's providing you like a fixed price quote up front i say that's a big red flag because it's impossible to do that from any sort of discussion on any sort of system so it wasn't a fixed price quote purely on Here's a discussion, and this is what it was. Yep, there yep. was a you know two day workshop. There mm-hmm. was time where they spent pulling together the user stories and epics. Mm-hmm. Once again, an agile terminology. Yes. So go out there mm-hmm. and understand agile because uh, that's how most people develop. <laughs> yep. And um, yeah, uh, look. At least you, they tried to have that process, the discovery yeah. and planning stage. So let's yeah. dig in a bit on that because. That's obviously not something you want to go through, and we don't want anyone to go through. And no, the reason why we started this podcast, Paul, is we've heard this story time and time and time again, and it's mm. it's a shit story to hear that people are investing their own money, their own capital, friends, families' capital, whatever it might be, and they're getting put in a position where they're dealing with a team that just is not even capable of delivering, and it's a massive frustration for us. It's like... You're taking people's. Just I'm having a bit of a dig here, but you're putting your 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 um, capability out there. You're taking people's money, and some people are just taking them on a ride. And we've mm. seen this over and over again. So, what's the red flags that you noticed early on or during that process that people might want to pay attention to? So, the design process didn't bother me. I went through the design process. We did, there were screen mock-ups. There was screen flows. It made sense. They incorporated all my feedback. So, you know, from a design perspective, from a user story perspective, all the questions were answered. There was enough flexibility to deal with the unknowns as they came up. And mm-hmm. as we got closer to those, um, you know, pieces, those user stories being dealt with in each relevant sprint. Yes. So, you know, that was okay. Okay. It was sprint one, okay. Yeah, sprint one's like setting things up. Mm-hmm. Um, sprint one. I mean, 
I was told it was standard practice for them to take ownership of the of the development environment, which we'd established in AWS. And I mm-hmm. thought, okay, I, I don't know, but okay, fine, mm-hmm. I'll take that one. Um, mm-hmm. I, I haven't actually spoken with anyone since to find out whether that's still standard practice. I mean, I understand their position is they don't want someone then walking away from uh, paying what they're due, but at the same time, there's got to be a better way than holding people to ransom like that. Yeah, okay. Um, so that was a that was a yellow card for me. Okay. <laughs> but but I thought, okay, I, I, I'll just I'll just deal with it and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was second sprint. And and they were actually running weekly sprints, so you know normally a sprint slash iteration is two weeks, but this was weekly. How big was the team working on the project? Did you know? Uh, I had an onshore digital producer, mm-hmm. um, a sort of relationship manager who yep. I dealt with initially as well. Mm-hmm. There was a, um, a scrum master sitting offshore in India. Mm-hmm. The, he had a team of, I believe. Oh, from memory, it was seven or eight people, I think, all up. So you think, oh, well, okay, okay, well, That's... this is a decent-sized team. Hmm. And yeah. what we're talking about is building a secure real-time communication uh, method with uh-huh. a bit of a marketplace front-end and some user registration functionality and some user management functionality. So mm-hmm. you know, nothing necessarily over the top, mm-hmm. but the real-time communication, uh, you know, reliable and secure it's it's a new piece of technology. You're mm-hmm. having to build something, so okay, fine. But Sprint Two, where they're starting on some of the UI work, uh-huh. and you know they're building a basic user interface, and we're talking a property card, and you know yes. we they designed it, and I'm expecting them to design it uh, exactly as as what's been produced in the uh, visual mockups to us previously. Mm-hmm. And I look at it and go, well, the alignment on that's wrong. Like, why is that image out of whack? Like, it's not centered in where it should be within that portion of the card. Mm. And then what happens when you put some more content in there? Like, you know, if, if there's more uh, characters in there than just what you've put. And so, yeah, I had them run a few little variable tests like this. And then mm-hmm. I'm looking at the outputs going, that's wrong. Like, you know, just visually, that's mm. not even close to right. You're mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. Um, overflow of characters outside of a card. So it's a yes. not a flexible um, dimension of a card. And you think, oh, okay, that's a bit weird. Mm-hmm. Or there's no way of, um, you know, at least uh, curating it in such a way that it can shorten the information so it still looks presentable. But then, you know, we end up, having a look and this is where unfortunately um, you know for those non-tech people you need to have a tech person involved and I did have my CTO involved thankfully uh-huh. um, who I'd got involved in the business mm-hmm. uh, and we're inspecting some of the uh, UI attributes the CSS and and we're just mm-hmm. looking at it going they've literally counted the number of pixels so rather oh, than wow. actually fix cool. the issue <laughs> in a proper way they've literally just gone and adjusted the pixel count so it's moved the attribute on the screen either right or left by a certain number of pixels and I'm like but that's not fixing the underlying no. problem you're just okay. band-aiding and so, if you didn't have a CTA you wouldn't have known that so what was your next step then what did you do well I you know was was quite blunt in terms of my feedback yeah. and said, "Hang on a minute, uh-huh. we've we've gone through this. You're telling me yeah. that 
that this is the fix and we mm-hmm. can clearly tell that it's not so mm-hmm. we want this actually properly fixed mm-hmm. and uh, sad to say but mm-hmm. um you know I, I parked the ui stuff and i just said look you know let's let's get on with things yep we can deal with the ui stuff because ultimately that that is not um, highly complex. That's quite basic stuff yep. that you can deal with later on. I wanted to get to the crux of the application, which is the real-time communication. Okay. And you know, they're like, "All right, so we're going to use XMPP as the as the methodology." And I'm sitting there going, "I don't know what that is because I am technical, but I'm not that technical." Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, and I said, well, "Why aren't we using Node.js?" That's what I was told mm-hmm. by. Yeah, friends. Yes, that, that, that was that was the standard yes. as we discussed earlier, uh-huh. um, and and they said, oh no, no, XMPP is what Google uses, and I was like, okay, like if that's the protocol they're using, uh-huh. it's Google. Like Google know their stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, coincidentally, if you've ever used Hangouts, which uh, I know you guys have, yes. but for mm-hmm. anyone who's listening to this, if you've used Hangouts and you've found that sometimes it doesn't always pop through your notifications or it seems a bit skew-whiff in terms of timing of sending messages, that's some of the downfall of XMPP. Okay. Yeah, that's just a specific <laughs> protocol. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. we got, we you know, weeks are going by so and I'm getting these weekly deliveries. And I'm yeah. I'm spending hours mm-hmm. of my time each night, and, yes. you know, on the weekends, and I'm having multiple phone calls, mm-hmm. and you know that that's the other thing. Whenever you're going through any um, software delivery, uh, you need to be on top of the development, and you need to be on top of how it's progressing, and you need to be testing yourself and providing feedback. So uh, this comes back to my process discussion earlier. You mm-hmm. need to mm-hmm. understand your process and how things are meant to flow, and you need to think about the implications of if I do this, if I click on this thing, this is what I want it to do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you effectively came one of the testers, the QA people on the team. Well, yeah. And then project management, I'm guessing, with all the phone calls and emails <laughs> so that you had to do. Yeah. Was that challenge with the offshore and the time difference? Was that a problem? So I was working full-time during the day uh-huh. and then yep. I'd come home and spend several hours working on this at night and sometimes, you know, those, the phone calls were generally scheduled from 7 to 8 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, every night and sometimes they'd run over and then sometimes I'd have to have a you know, further debate with the scrum master. And I think that's another big uh, red flag through that whole process was absolute defensiveness the whole no. way through from the development mm-hmm. team or the scrum master at least trying to tell me how my expectations are are not right or saying that they'll do something and then not doing it you know I, I've always yep. been the type of person that is expected if you tell me you're going to get something done mm-hmm. you either have to have a really good reason as to why you haven't been able to get it done and and it's got to be plausible mm-hmm. or you get it done. Like that's and it, that's a reasonable expectation when you're paying, um, you know, a company tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars to deliver on something for mm-hmm. you. It is, yep. and I think one thing you raised there, and that's like anything within project development, you're going to have your your bottlenecks. You're going to have a few challenges, but if you're constantly getting that feedback of we haven't delivered, we haven't delivered, we haven't delivered, we haven't delivered every single time. That's a massive red flag, clearly, because they're not one. Maybe they're not even capable, um, and they're just walking you through this process. And well, yeah, that's that's a big issue. They're, they're underestimating it themselves. Yeah, and that's normally what we've seen yeah. is the case for uh-huh. her. Yeah, it can be. Yeah, mm. uh, and for me, it was. Mm-hmm. 
But like uh, you said, you're yeah. paying these people yes. as experts to deliver for that's you. What, that's your expectation. And yeah. that's, yeah. that's in, in a right, you're spending 200 grand on a product. One would mm. expect that they're experts delivering a product. Well, I mean, going back to my statement earlier that this company has since yes. collapsed, I mean, you know, some people who have dealt with the industry and, uh-huh. uh, you know, known for the last few years, yes. some of these companies that have collapsed could quite easily figure out, mm-hmm. you know, a, a short list of who it yeah, was. Yeah, who it might be. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, look, you and I have had that discussion yes. already. Yes. But, uh, you know, it, what was what was really frustrating mm-hmm. was... Uh, you know, being told that I'm not that I, that my expectations are incorrect or that I'm not mm-hmm. right when I'm U18. Mm-hmm. For those out there that don't know that user acceptance testing, yes. so that's what um, you as a you as a founder should be doing um, every sprint to make sure that the uh, delivered work is actually functioning as it should. Um, you know, you're being told that this is this is correct and and that you're wrong in your expectations or whatever it might be and I, I remember distinctly just having yelling matches with with the offshore scrum master I'm sitting there saying this isn't working like it's not so they'd, they'd give me a walkthrough and they'd say here look we've we've mm-hmm. demonstrated it to you it works and I'm like yeah it worked one time mm-hmm. now when I've done UAT on it every fourth time or, mm-hmm. or one in four uh, attempts there's a failure mm-hmm. which means it doesn't work and you as a founder it's your business it's it's your reputation but more importantly it's you financially on the line so if I had taken their product as it was, and put it into a live environment, mm-hmm. and let a real estate agent run a an auction mm-hmm. with that platform mm-hmm. as it was that they'd given us. One in four potential, one potentially even you know one in three online bids would have failed to come through, and if it had been potentially a winning bid that someone online had placed that didn't get communicated, and mind you, mm-hmm. it's saying on their side it, it was, was communicating, yeah. <laughs> yep. think about the legal the legal ramification and the legal liability that you as a founder mm-hmm. and me subsequently in yes. that scenario would have been. So, yep. yeah, uh, hence the reason I was um, quite pissed off oh, I can't, can't put it, it any other off. way yeah, <laughs> and supposedly you were both working from the same designs yes and same user plans user and flow yes. requirements everything mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. and and yep. in actuality um, you know I was producing even more because yeah. uh, you know there were certain concepts that they couldn't get uh-huh. um, so I ha- would literally have to draw up flow diagrams for them to step it out in plain English so yeah, what was I, the point I, yeah. of the onshore design manage, digital manager? What did they do? If you're dealing directly with the offshore team, that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, yeah, yeah that's that's a very good question. Um, you know, I, I actually don't know what value I was getting out of them. Uh-huh. And uh, look, not to be disparaging, yes. but in terms of offshore development, mm-hmm. um, I've dealt with offshore development across numerous organizations since as far back as 2006. Yes. Uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, my experience has not been mm-hmm. fantastic. Mm-hmm. There's been a handful that have, you know, done what they needed to do, but yes. there are also a lot of, uh, a lot of companies that will not deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you can, you can manage them 
to the nth degree, and you can even fly over there. Uh, one organisation I worked at literally had yes. that, uh, had had a software development wow. partner in India, mm-hmm. and they'd mm-hmm. fly yeah. people over there to project manage and mm-hmm. work alongside, mm-hmm. and te- had, you know they'd even send along tech leads, yes. and then you know the the end result was still never you know, a, a, a very a very average piece of technology mm-hmm. um, that didn't work most mm-hmm. of the time. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not easy that world. Um, and we've heard the, oh, the for every for every hundred I hear, one is a success in my opinion in terms of del- delivering clear quality continuously. Yeah. You don't hear good stories, so unless no, it's, it's even worse yeah. when the startups and founders go and find their own team overseas and try and manage the project. Mm. Oh, yeah, that, that's yeah. that's a whole other yeah. kettle yeah. without <laughs> having that technical level at all. It's, it's, I don't know how many of those we've spoken to yeah. over the I remember, years I remember, I remember, I won't name him, but I remember I was dealing with in a team in Eastern Europe and he... Um, well, that was the third team though, I think. Yeah, I don't even know what it was. But two, three, India, yeah. one in... Yeah. What did he end up in? Russia or the Ukraine? I was thinking I Ukrainian team, but he ended yeah, up flying to the Ukraine and staying a couple of months there trying to build this thing and still don't get a product to market and you're thinking <laughs> my god we're, that we was were, our first venture into um, help it, trying to help him manage this thing in about two weeks we gave up we said listen I won't name his name but we That's said listen true. we just can't they don't listen they don't comprehend they're not following yeah. any instruction yeah. at all how do you expect us to help you manage this thing it's, and he goes oh, well, I'm just going to fly there and hold their hand and it just didn't work and nah, and he wasn't tech based yeah. he didn't have any experience developing yes. software here and they've gone through yeah. two failed projects before yeah. I think it was yeah. If not, yeah. Uh, look if you're going to do a as a non-technical mm-hmm. uh, founder if you're going to try and start a technical platform mm-hmm. startup you need to engage the right people and ultimately I know people say don't you know you don't need a technical founder but you know I'd argue against that I think having a technical founder means you can actually start discussing those items with yes. someone else mm-hmm. who has a vested interest yep. Um, yep. you know mm. who they've got, so, who got some skin in the game right so they've got exactly they're a part of the process I've had this we've had this chat with a few people do we get a men, an advisor do we get a technical founder or a co-founder I'm sort of leaning towards the fact that like Anthony and I work hand in hand within a technology business. If I didn't have Anthony and couldn't rely on Anthony, there's no way we could deliver anything. Um, I'm not yeah, the technical I'm the guy. Technical one. And you need that person to lean on that you fully trust and know that they're, deliver- mm. they're going to deliver the outcome or they're making the right decision. If you're just relying on a third party and if that third party is overseas to make the right decisions for your product, your business long term, when they're just looking at it as another project they're doing, you're going to be uh, in quite a bit of strife. Now, in saying that, mm-hmm. we are advisors on mm-hmm. products yes. overseas for other clients. Yes, yes. And we know ourselves uh-huh. that we're putting our all in when we work on a project. Yes. We hope we're getting that across to them, uh-huh. so it's not the same as yes. another these situations that we're talking yeah. about. We know we try and put our best yeah. in to get these things across the line and deliver the best we can. And I'm just going back... And- 10. I didn't mean to dig you guys no, a hole, no, by the way. No, no, we're in, we're in both situations. We've done both. We've had, we've had our tr- struggles. We've been running a tech business for 12 years now. When we started, we had our struggles. We've, we missed deadlines. We struggled as a team to deliver inexperience. But the one thing that we can hold a hat on, we never stopped attempting to deliver. 
and we never failed to deliver anything. It might have been late, it might have been delayed, but we still consistent and help the customer get to the end result. And that's yeah. you don't get that everywhere. Um, and that's one thing we hold a hat on, even though we probably didn't have some experience back in the day to be able to yet deliver to what we thought we could. But at least we mm. tr- we did everything we yeah, could, <laughs> even if it went learned. over and over and over. We lost money on projects back then, like not making. Yeah, any, but yeah. but you know yeah. what? That's um. Mm-hmm. You, you as 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 the technical business, yeah. that is something that you know mm-hmm. is is just par for the course. As a mm-hmm. as a non technical founder, mm-hmm. especially if you're dealing with if yeah. you're someone who's never worked in project delivery before. Correct. I mean, thankfully, yes. I've done it for well over a decade. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I had seen one project yep. come in on time and budget yeah. one <laughs> and that's in in, in that decade plus yeah. so it's, it's you know. not that easy it, stuff is challenging it is it's massively very, very challenging difficult. so and i think people don't get it especially if you're non-tech yeah. it's very hard to understand that we've been on all sides of the fence yes. in those 12 years we've been advisors yep. we've been partners we've been working for as remote developers for another yes. team as overflow support we run our own SaaS product we've got our own product we've invested heavily in over yeah. the past four or five years so we we've seen all areas all angles mm. all facets of it so and yeah we've even been um tech founders on startups yes. and brought in through sweat equity yeah. <laughs> as well as advisors yeah. so we've done a bit of everything so we, we've <laughs> gone on all the fences so we know yeah. that yeah. it does work if you get the right people oh. but a technical founder is better than a technical advisor exactly and 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 that's the critical Mm -hmm. thing is Mm -hmm. it comes back down to having um the right people engaged you just you know if you're if you as as a founder are looking at starting a business Mm -hmm. um i i come back to you know what i was saying earlier and i'll probably add add a few little elements to it is understand your industry Mm -hmm. understand your target market and actually talk to them most of mm-hmm. them, and when I say most of them, 99.9% of them are going to give you actual useful information and feedback and they're not going to steal your idea. And even yeah. if they did try and steal your idea, most of them have no actual way of delivering, which I know I'm contradicting myself, but having said that, actually one of the people I, I did demo this my platform to actually did steal my whole concept and idea. So, oh, well, well nice. you know, there's that. <laughs> there's um, that. You can't but, stop that though, but that's... No, you yeah. can't. I mean, yeah. that's just market research Correct. at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, you know, it, that people have the same idea at the same time. That's true. Yeah. It oh, happens all the time. I, I had it with Gavel. Gavel yeah. came out at the same time. Now, uh-huh. this was a slightly different spin on what our platform was. Yes. Um, their delivery model was different. Mm-hmm. They went the Uber style route where they controlled the resources and just sold it to the agent as a mm-hmm. here is a service yes. that we offer you you just need to pay us a hundred two hundred dollars and we do the bits and pieces for you so you don't need to do anything whereas our platform was self-service now mm-hmm. once again i come back to i didn't understand well enough the the target market mm-hmm. and what their appetite was for dealing with technology. Yeah, that's a key mm-hmm. point from today. You mentioned it a thousand times. So I think everyone should listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> Understand about yeah, I, I, I just issues. don't know how yeah. much more I can emphasize it. If I could underline <laughs> yeah. it, bold it, yeah. you know, yeah. understand, um, you research. Say it one more time. Yes. Maybe we'll call that the title of the episode. <laughs> Understand, <laughs> Understand <laughs> your market. <laughs> put a uh, bullseye yes. picture or yeah. something. Yeah, I'm, uh, you know, and, and subsequently... Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were more ideas that came mm. came to the fore as as this went on, mm-hmm. and you know if you're creative enough, yes. whilst you're working through this, other ideas will come come to a head for you. They'll, 
you know, you'll be working through a particular problem or you'll get some feedback from users and that's another important thing. Um, you know, I've, I've done product digital product owner and digital product management roles as well where you interact with your users and you know, talking to them, getting feedback, literally showing them screen mock-ups saying, hey, you know, if we did this thing, like what do you reckon of that? Like don't be afraid to get feedback from people on your idea because look, most people that see your idea will actually give you valuable information and valuable feedback. The uh, bulk of them are going to be too lazy or just not have an opportunity to take mm -hmm. on your idea and do anything about it um, in terms of pinching it. Um, <laughs> That's a fair point. You know, yeah. <laughs> I think people will be, uh, be aware uh, of that. Look, yes. people yeah. said it to me as well. Yeah. And, and I was... Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, they said it to me after the fact, mm -hmm. like, you know, so I learned the hard way once again. Um, and yeah, it's just, you need to just understand this. Mm -hmm. Once you understand it mm -hmm. um, and don't feel afraid about it, uh, you know, even if you're going through the whole motions of trying to raise capital and mm -hmm. um, no doubt you've probably, you'll have discussions around capital raising to some degree with other parties. But I mean, my experience with it is, um, you know, where you're talking about sophisticated investors, where you're talking about family offices, where you're talking about venture capital funds, all, all these different markets, you need to understand their drivers. So, mm -hmm. you know, that research element that, that I highlighted earlier applies to not just your platform and software design and development, but it also applies to uh, your capital raising. It literally, uh, research, research, research is going to be the biggest component of of you operating a business yes there's the other operational elements mm -hmm. but the stuff that will take the most time is research and relationship building and i think you're sure in relationship building at the end there but it's pivotal to any business success the more people you know and if you build and add value to a market it makes it a lot easier to have conversations especially if you're going to feedback and get questions and answers from a market and even going back yeah. To the development team, they become it's a relationship, it is. not just transactions. Yeah. Need yeah. to be able to work mm, with them, like yeah. you said. You are talking to them all day, all night, every day, every day, every night. It's not just a transactional relationship at that point. Mm. So, Paul, yeah, yeah. just to get a grip on this, so you went two hundred grand in, first product failed. Um, what did you do next? So, this was what 2016, 17-ish. Went through that. 2016. Yeah. So, what was your next step? So, what did you attempt? So, to do the next then? step was. Um, I, I'd actually made the decision along with the CTO yep. and um, another mm -hmm. uh, friend of mine who I brought on board. Yep. Um, I, I had more capital, which uh, you know was basically let's go and work on this full time. Okay, so let's, you were able to do that at this time. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. I, no. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like it uh -huh. wasn't easy, yes. and financially, mm -hmm. you know, losing losing the income that I had uh -huh. was was a big hit. Yes. And um, you know, if you're gonna do that, uh, do your sums, do your mm -hmm. finances, plan ahead. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's all you can do. Yes. And uh, if you've got a girlfriend or a wife, <laughs> um, make sure you have that conversation <laughs> in depth. Just don't do it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. That 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 was fun. Okay. Um, so. You know, I mean, I, <laughs> I I got married and uh -huh. was was the CEO yes. and head of product for a startup yes. and uh, had no income. Nice. <laughs> so you know mm. that that was that was uh, not a easy. fun time. No, not easy to go through that, is it? No. So, so you know, th these are just the bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we went through that and um, rebuilt the platform mm -hmm. and 
you know, I went out pitching it to different real estate agencies, speaking with the CEOs, some of the principals, directors, all that yeah. type of stuff. And, you know, incorporating feedback, I, what I encountered was a lot of resistance. Mm-hmm. Now, if I had done uh, so, uh, more of that engagement and market research up front, yes. I would have known what the resistance was, mm-hmm. which means I could have factored in some of those into the design of the platform. Mm-hmm. But also mm-hmm. I would have known, right, it would have informed me at that point in time, is this actually worth pursuing at this point in time? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I've actually said it to a number of friends before. If I'd known then what I knew now, and this was progressive points along the way, yeah. would I have pursued mm-hmm. it? Probably not. Okay. Um, you know, there was mm-hmm. opportunity cost mm-hmm. in terms of lost income. Mm-hmm. There was income lost yes. that I actually tipped into the business myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and there's, there's all of those things that sort of go along with it. So mm-hmm. you have to understand that being an entrepreneur is a gamble mm-hmm. and it and it is a gamble um mm-hmm. startups fail uh only a lot of them only do. A, yes yeah only point something of a percent yeah. actually end up becoming successful businesses mm-hmm. um so you know if you're going to pursue it you have to understand that you have the best of intentions you might have a wealth of experience you may have the best idea but it can still fail yeah and i think you need to start from there and realize that if you're walking into that i think it's when when you do your sums up front understand that this might fail and what do you i think you mentioned dan mumby what are you prepared to risk um and mm. it's, i think a time becomes a factor let alone a monetary thing opportunity cost and it's all needs to be weighed up and i think Starting out up front, how long are you going to give this? Especially when you're in a startup land and you've got no mm. revenue for year on year and you're trying mm. to build a product, it's not easy. It's challenging. Mm. How long can you actually give it to see it through and to see yourself to the other side to hopefully generate revenue and become one mm. of the, one of those one in a hundred that actually generates good business? And it's not that easy, is it? No, but, it's not. And I mean, I'd probably add mm. to that that, um, you know, the... As a founder, uh-huh. you know, one of the things that you, you go is, oh, I want to own as much of this company as I can, mm-hmm. you know, because, because you think if it's successful, I want to be really successful. Yes. I want to make the most money I possibly can um, and get the most kudos and I want to be the equivalent of Zuckerberg or <laughs> Jeff Bezos or numerous other ridiculously wealthy people. But, you know, the practical reality is unless you can um, bootstrap your uh-huh. your startup and fund the whole thing yourself yes. and not have to rely on outside capital, Mm. you are realistically going to have to carve out reasonable capital holdings or equity holdings to other people for that capital to get the business going. Mm. Now, there's a lot of dumb money out there. What do I mean by dumb money? Dumb money is there are people with money looking for investments to make them money, but they can't actually add any value to either your operations yes. or your strategy or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So this could be, you know, your family and friends. Yeah, cool. You can tap them if you want, mm-hmm. but at the same time, what value do they do they potentially bring in? Not yeah, much. Little to nothing You're... other than actual money, and that's all. That's all it is. Yeah. Exactly. So what you're better off doing is spending the time pulling together yes. a a very well researched, um, mm. you know, 
framing of, of it. It doesn't need to be an official pitch deck. I mean, you know, obviously that helps you in discussions with investors, but mm-hmm. um, you, know, you if you can just frame up the concept into a bit of a story flow, you know, mm. describe what what you're sort of roughly talking about, what the problem statement is. Go down into why these are a problem and how these are a problem. Size up your market. I mean, you have to understand how big your potential market is. And yes, if you're creating a new market, which, you know, there are some of those instances out there, like, you know, we were almost effectively doing, that it can be hard to um, calculate. Mm-hmm. But you need to you need to make the investment seem appealing. But more importantly, you need to have the right people involved because it's, it's not the idea that investors are investing in. I know it sounds cliche, but it really isn't. It's not the idea. It's the team. Mm-hmm. Can the team execute? And we've heard it. We had a podcast with um, a VC um, a few weeks back. It hasn't been published yet, but one of the things he said was, yes, I'm an investor, but I like to be involved because I'm putting money into this thing. And if I can help move this along, that's win for the owner, win for me. Um, and yeah, he, it's all about team. Um, and he spoke mm. about even that single founders, um, and he doesn't invest them anymore uh, because just a single founder can be challenging to work with, and they've got they're just doing their own thing. Sometimes, yeah, you need mm. a bit of other people's input within a business. And you mentioned carving out a business into multiple pieces, and yeah. uh, you struggle with this, and uh, we all do. I think early days, saying, "Oh, if I own a hundred percent of this or whatever it is, it could be worth a lot." But but <laughs> bringing on that right person, that right partner, that right investor yeah. can make the business work on your own. Sometimes you're going on a hiding to nothing. So some really good advice there, Paul. Well, that's yeah. exactly it. And I mean, you know, prior to yeah. us obviously recording this podcast, yeah. you and I were just sort of briefly talking mm-hmm. about that idea mm. that I'm I'm looking at right now mm. and, and you know, I, I think it's got legs and I think, yes. you know, it could be one of those big unicorn plus type uh, valuation uh-huh. businesses in the future yeah. and you know what, if I can have 20%, yes. 10% of that, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. at, at that type of valuation, yeah. that's going to make me a lot better off than what I am now yeah, where I own, you yeah. know, uh, uh, I own 100% of a concept. <laughs> and was, from yeah. that there... Um... That thinking change just be based on what you've been through and the experience that you had. Obviously, final call, you've you've stopped and closed. That just didn't seem to get over the line technically, from what you said. So, so is that from that? Yeah. Or did you own most of final call? What was the structure there, and what learning do you take? From yeah, that? well, yeah, yeah like yeah. I I am uh-huh. majority yes. shareholder, uh-huh. but as as we pointed yes. out, a hundred percent of yes. of. Uh, Nothing mm. is nothing. Um, you know, the unfortunate thing we had with Final Call, um, w- when we were finally finally starting to make traction, and this is prior to the COVID situation, yes. um, which actually would have potentially uh, increased our customer base. Yeah, that's what I thought. When uh, I was speaking to you back in, I don't know, a month ago, I was thinking, this might, this poor could be in a good position right now. Um, yeah. Obviously, that hasn't come to fruition. Yeah, but, t- yeah. T- yeah. yeah. Uh, ser- serendipity did not mm. go in my favour, unfortunately. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so this comes back to... Yes. Uh, a decision we made in 2016 mm-hmm. during the rebuild. Mm-hmm. We talk about technical decisions yes. uh, or we talk about decisions that you can make that have far-reaching implications. So that decision engaging with that software company uh-huh. uh, was was bad decision number mm-hmm. one. Their architectural decisions, bad decision number two. Mm-hmm. We re-architected it mm-hmm. and redesigned the application and uh, then encountered... Um, 
a a challenge where we said okay if we use this framework over here it'll give us this this and this if we use this framework over here it'll give us this this and this but nothing actually fit what we needed so what did we do we decided to custom build our own which is a lot more effort but it gave us exactly what we Uh needed now at the time uh, react and angular Mm -hmm. were neither of them were the front runners Mm -hmm. um, and they were both relatively new Mm -hmm. so Mm You know, if you were to pin your hopes on one of those frameworks, mm-hmm. um, you know, it just as easily could have failed for you as well. Yes. Yep. We built the platform on the architecture in 2016, mm-hmm. did not update the architecture, and unfortunately in March this year, uh, or early March this year, mm-hmm. we um, encountered a fatal error mm-hmm. uh, in the platform that stopped um, secure communications because our customized framework had not been updated mm-hmm. along with browsers. So, you know, mm. that's that's one thing. If you're doing a tech platform, you have to understand that what you build now mm-hmm. has a shelf life. Yes. You need to be mm-hmm. constantly updating. Mm-hmm. If you're building a native app for iOS or Android, those updates are even more frequent. You'll be updating those things multiple <laughs> times a year with yeah. each new firmware yeah. update. Uh, if you're doing a web application, mm-hmm. like we did, mm-hmm. um, you know it, we we had a bit more bit more grace in terms of time yes. in there, but you know a three year run, uh-huh. hey, it ain't bad. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, you know just as just as we would have finally um, achieved our product market fit, mm-hmm. and by the way, hadn't actually added a single feature since 2017. Okay. So okay. we were ahead of our time, yes. which comes Clearly. back to timing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know it's um, it, it's unfortunate. Mm. Uh, it's not to say that it's dead. I mm. mean, you know, you you uh, you know, if if there's a way to rebuild it, and if yes. I can, uh, you know, reposition things, uh-huh. uh, um, you know, then then there's that. But I suppose that's one other key element as a founder. Make sure you're creative in terms of pivots, because you know we pivoted multiple times in terms of product features, things that I swore I never wanted to get involved in, swore that I was never going to build into the platform. And then, you know, just to keep up with other uh, entrants in the market, you know, sometimes you have to do things that you didn't plan on doing, even though you knew it didn't necessarily add mm-hmm. a whole heap of value. Uh, yeah, just to be competitive. It's an interesting conversation, I think. If you take it back to any business, I think 50 years ago, business could do do the same thing for 10, 15, 20 years. I think now we're in a different world where you need to be pivoting, even if you're not in a tech business, pivoting services, pivoting business model, pivoting the way you consider your market, pivoting who your market is. Um, and in tech, it's even more advanced there because you're always changing, always evolving. and yeah, often, yeah, Everything's just yeah, accelerated. It is. That, so, that 15, yeah. 10, 15 years yeah. is mm. 18, 24 yeah, months. So I think it can be. be aware uh, of that. Mm. Oh, exactly. I mean, you know, you could even go so far as to say, literally, the the whole COVID situation Mm -hmm. has just forced every business in every industry to pivot. Um, Mm -hmm. Pubs. Pubs Pubs are up a creek right Mm. now, but you've got a few that are are now able to do some takeaway beers and what have you. And some of them are setting themselves up as temporary bottle shops and things like that. Now, that's not really going to do much for restaurants. So you've had traditional restaurants, um, you know, even high-end ones. I mean, Attica. Yeah, I saw that on the the news the other night. Yeah, talking about that. So, yes. Uh, You know, they've pivoted Uh to do takeaway, cook-at-home type meals. Like, it's just... If you want to survive in business, uh-huh. you need to 
be flexible. Yes. Um, not morally, because, well, yeah, morally as well, like, you know, <laughs> if you really want to be that kind of person. Yeah, but... Everyone's got a choice there. Um, yes. Exactly. Yes. But you just need to be flexible and you need yeah. to understand that the world will change. Mm-hmm. Your business circumstances will change. You could be top of the heap. You could be the market leader, but it will not always be that mm-hmm. way. And there are always people looking to disrupt you. There are always people looking to disrupt industries. There are always threats out there and there are always opportunities out there and you need to be cognizant of them that's not to say don't invest and don't take risks but you know because they could potentially not work out just be educated about it which comes back to team have the right team around you have the right you know advisors and you don't need to be paying people you don't need to be doing this i mean just tap the people that you know within your network that that you've got good relationships with who are happy to get involved because half of the time uh, you know in the early stages of business people are happy to help out provided it's not too onerous Mm. but they're happy to help out and give their input and give their time and give their thoughts to you um because intrinsically most people will want to see you succeed and if you succeed and that you've been there helping sorry, if you succeed and they've been there helping you along the way well you know there's also the potential that they might have skills that can be utilized later on they might become part of your board they might become a key executive member or a key man- senior management member like you just don't know how any of this stuff could play out so um, networking is is important um, and sales god that's the last thing I have to say. <laughs> sales. We'll wrap it up with sales. Yeah, go for yeah. it. Yeah. Sales. Yeah. Do not in any way underestimate uh-huh. how much you need to invest in sales and marketing. Mm. Marketing, um, you know, marketing is about brand recognition mm. and getting the message out there, but marketing will not sell for no. you. Agreed. Sales, people, mm-hmm. business development. Mm-hmm relationships that is the stuff that will sell and sometimes you know the, a sale you could spend six months plus negotiating and 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 doing whatever it is i i did for a very large um commercial uh real estate agency i spent over six months adapting the platform for little variances that they wanted and whatever else and ultimately they just decided no they didn't want to do it in the end um you know and that's that's just part and parcel of what you do. Mm. But, mm-hmm. you know, once again, useful feedback, take it on board. You might get some new ideas out of it, which we did, yeah. which other competitors copied in the end. So, you know. <laughs> oh, you've got to be prepared for that. So, Paul, I think I want to thank you for coming on. It's not easy to come on and share a story that hasn't gone to plan. Obviously, I imagine you want to can share a story around Final Call, just selling uh, 50 auctions a weekend, but unfortunately, it's not where you are right now. That may change in the future, but I really appreciate you coming on and just sharing what the experience has been like, what starting a business is really like, and the challenges you might find, especially if you go down this whole tech-facing business. So I want to, yeah, really appreciate you coming on, mate, and just um, sharing what your story's been like and what the experience has been. And there's a lot of content here for people just to take away and have a good think about before they get into a business, or even if they're in one right now. Yeah, no, look, uh, thanks for having me. One thing we can leave you with you is that you're not the only one who have gone through a situation. No, like this, and that's from everyone we've yeah, spoken that, to. Like I said earlier, um, the point of why we started is back in October last year, we had five businesses um, lost about uh, a bit over a million dollars between them, some small, some bigger, 
and we started the podcast off the back of it. And you listen to our first podcast, Judy Solman's number one. She was one of those, and I think the reason why we did it was how do we add value to these people? Because yeah, yeah she lost four hundred grand. grand. Yeah, I think Paul's a bit more than that based on our previous conversations. Uh, yeah, well, so it's yeah, it's not fun. It's not good when people have ideas, and the last thing you want is crap tech holding you back. Yeah, because your idea, not because your idea uh, was not good. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, you need to. You just need to mm-hmm. do everything you can to make it work, mm-hmm. and and also not be bummed out. No, yeah. not be too bummed out if it doesn't. Yeah. Oh, life goes on, yep. doesn't it? There's other another opportunity around the corner, and um, who knows what that might be for you. Most successful entrepreneurs fail multiple mm. times before they succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the average age of a successful entrepreneur is about yes. forty-five. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're not there yet. It's, it, it's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, um, failures yeah. along the way before you get yes. that one. Yeah, exactly. Now, Paul, if anyone wants to reach out, talk a bit to you. How do they get access to you, and where might they reach you? Uh, you can drop me an email yep. uh, at paul dot at finalcall.com.au and uh, you know we can just have a chat and uh, yeah I'm always uh, yeah I love the startup space you know if if I can make it work financially you know it's exactly where I'd want to be it's a fun place to play isn't it it's just it it is that financial thing how do you make it work on both sides it is creative exactly it's enjoying but the revenue side is somewhat the challenge sometimes thanks again Mm. Paul we'll share it out on LinkedIn so I'll share 